Welcome back. I am so sorry that it's taken me so very long to get back to posting another um, podcast. I, I'm very sorry for my delay. I had launched just before everything started going crazy in our world, and boy, it's been a rough few weeks, hasn't it? And geez, you know, it's I never thought I would live to see days quite like this, but here we are in them, and I think we're all doing the best we can, and there's nothing wrong with that. So hang in there with me, and I'll hang in there with you, and we have each other, and we have these hopefully fun stories that I'll be sharing with you, and, you know, we'll make it happen. Somehow we will get through, and... You know, we have strength in our togetherness, and I'm sending out every positive vibe and wish that I possibly can. So, that being said, let me tell you a little bit about tonight's reading. Um, I really love fairy tales. I think I've mentioned that before. I love fairy tales. And in my 20s, I very much wanted to become a writer, and... If there's like any regret I've ever had in my life, it's really not pursuing that more aggressively. Maybe I'll pick that up now that we have some time. <laughs> some time now that, that we're kind of at home. Um, but I did have a marvelous, marvelous literature, creative writing instructor. Her name was Kyler Etheridge, and wherever she's at out there, oh my goodness, I mean, what... What an inspiration she was. Some of her lessons and the things that she said, I remember to this day. But one of the things that she said in class, and I'll never forget it, she said that any writer who really wishes to write and write well will read first. Well, I think I got caught up in the reading part and didn't do as much of the writing as I needed to, but but she's not wrong. Um, reading is a wonderful way to broaden your mind and broaden your soul. And so, like I said, I got caught up in the reading, and I've been devouring books for many years. And I have this marvelous book, and it's a book series, actually. And the first one is called Snow White, Blood Red. Uh, it was edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Winley, and these came out probably in the mid-90s. It's the second book that I'll be reading a selection from tonight, and this book is called Black Thorn, White Rose, also edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Winling. And the story I'm looking at is called Journey Bread Recipe, written by Lawrence Schmiel. I do not have permission to read this, and I'm saying that, but I, I do not own the story. I do not own the character. I do not own the idea. I'm just simply sharing it with you. I'm not doing this for profit or revenue. This is simply for sharing an enjoyment of this really kind of fun, short piece of fiction. This is um, a fairy tale that is more adult in theme, so it may not be for little ears. It does have adult, um, how would you call it, themes, adult theming. So nothing nothing like really nasty or nothing like that. I, I won't do that, but... Um, yeah, I won't get freaky with it here, but this is definitely this is definitely a story that I, I like. And I'm going to share this with you. It's really short. It's really short, but I'd like to tell you a little bit about the book. This, I guess, was written around 1994 is when this book was published. 
and this writer at the time was in his 20s and um, a little bit of the bio says and we'll, we'll talk about Lawrence Schmiel here is this was written in 94 so he's he's a little bit older now Lawrence Schmiel is 22 and has sold his poetry to anthologies such as Xanadu 3 Excalibur and to various periodicals including the Wall Street Journal, Asimov Science Fiction Magazine, and the writer in the Saturday Evening Post. His numerous short stories have been published in Grail's Visitations of the Night, World, uh, I'm sorry, Weird Tales from Shakespeare, Cat Fantastic Three, which I have that, we'll check that out later, and Youngblood, I think I have that as well. It seems natural to go from a story about a tasty bit of gingerbread to a dish one might not actually choose to eat if it actually existed still. It's fun to read about. So let's take a moment. Like I said, this is a very, very short piece of fiction. I've probably talked at you longer than the story is written, but let's give it a listen. And if you like this one, I might read you another one. Of course, you know I'm going to read you another Okay, so let's begin. This is actually on page 129 of the book. The story is on 130, and there's, it's kind of pretty. I'll tell you a little bit about the page. It's bold black print. It's got two black printed roses, and it's got a little quote under the title of Journey Bread Recipe, and it says, even in the electric kitchen, there was the smell of a journey. And that quote was taken from Anne Sexton from A Little Red Riding Hood, I guess a piece that she did. So let's begin the story. It is a recipe. Number one, in a Tupperware wood, mix child and hood, stir slowly, add wolf. Number two, turn out onto a lightly flowered path and begin the walk home from school. Number three, sweeten the journey with candied petals, velvet tongues of violets and a posy of roses. Soon you will crave more. Number four, knead the flowers through the dough as wolf and child converse, tasting of each other's flesh, a mingling of scents. Number five, now crack the wolf and separate the whites, the large eyes, the long teeth, from the oaks. Number six. Fold in the yeasty souls fermented whilst none were watching. You are too young to hang out in bars. Number seven. Cover and warm and moist. Let the bloated belly rise nine months. Number eight. Shape into a pudgy child, a doughboy, lumpy but sweet. Bake half an hour. Number nine, just before the time is up, the end in sight, the water broken, split the top with a hunting knife, bone handled and sharp. Number 10, serve swaddled in a wolfskin throw, cradled in a basket and left on grandmother's doorstep. Number 11, go to your room. You have homework to be done. You are too young to be in the kitchen cooking. <laughs> and that's the end of this interesting little story. So, I loved it. I personally love this. I like the idea of this 
this whole story being told, this kind of mesh of the gingerbread man and Little Red Riding Hood and an unexpected twist and, you know, a very kind of adult theme to it without a lot being said. And I thought how wonderful this was when I first read this back in my 20s and how special this was. And I really hope this writer is still writing today. So I hope you enjoyed Journey Bread Recipe. So a little bit about where I'm at. I'm upstairs in my bedroom and I'm sitting in front of a window that's looking out onto the street in front of our house and I'm on pipelines so if you know where that's at in Bedford it's kind of a little bit of a busy street and there is a little bit of traffic this evening I'm actually surprised there are as many people out as there are and it's turning dusk so we're at that fun time of the evening where the lighting outside is that kind of strange blue color where everything is kind of hyper bright just before twilight. It is almost eight o'clock and it's been a very cold day today. Today is April the 4th and it's been an uncharacteristically cold today. It feels like winter. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting up here and I'm in my window and I'm reading to you and I'm enjoying just kind of a couple of free moments to myself with you. And I hope you're enjoying your time with me. So if you'd like, we're going to take a moment here and I'm going to find us another story and I hope you'll like it. So hang on here with me. Hi there. So on to part two of my story reading for you. Now, this story is titled The Frog Prince, written by Gon Wilson. Again, this is kind of a adult take on the classic fairy tale. This is coming from the anthology Snow White, Blood Red, edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Winling. And this book was initially published or copyrighted in 1993, when the world was a little bit newer, I think. Well, it's been around a long time, but maybe we were newer in it. So on with the story, and I hope you enjoy this, and let's get going. The Frog Prince. Ah, so again, the same dream, sighed Dr. Neiman, without any trace of accusation making a note among many other notes in his notebook. Always the same dream. Frog rolled at the tiniest bit to the right on the couch, selecting another part of the ceiling to look at, the part with the crack which ran out of the edging of the plaster flowers like a questing tendril, perhaps his favorite part. He was aware that the continuing emanation of sweat from his armpits was once again soaking itself into the twin bunching of his shirt underneath the tweed jacket, making the material into two hard, swelling, highly uncomfortable lumps. There was so much moisture in him. Saliva, as always, had nearly filled his mouth and he would soon have to swallow silently, as silent as possible, since Dr. Neiman often incorporated frogs' frequent gulpings into his little analytical simulations at the end of their sessions. Frog always felt particularly vulnerable when it came to the gulpings. With reason, of course, with reason. 
and then there were the constant wetness in his eyes which would increase and brim and finally spin spill over the edges of his heavy puffy lids and roll down his round pale cheeks each and every time he spoke or thought of sad or moving things which was often not to mention the constant moisture on his palms which turned them into little pill suction cups and made them cling alarmingly to the soft leather of the couch or the ever-renewing dampness of his socks so that the unending process of evaporation taking place continued to bring uncomfortable and unnerving coolness to the wide bottoms of his feet. Sometimes laying there, he wondered if he was making invisible rivulets of pools beneath himself on the surface of the couch. Sometimes he wondered if he had gotten so bad that it was running off the couch's sides and darkening the thick oriental carpet that only Dr. Neiman's professional politeness was preventing him from making some totally understandable comment about the potential damage this flood of sweat and tears and drool, yes, even drool, represented to his property. Again and again, he would turn on the couch, always just the teeniest bit, and think these thoughts, and each time he moved, he would anticipate and listen with repressed winces for the squishings and squelchings which he never heard, thank God. When he finally rose to leave at the end of his session, and it was not able to resist the impulse to look back at the couch to see if any damage done by the flood of moisture from his round body was anywhere near as bad as his imagination conjured, he would observe, with perhaps the smallest wisp of disappointment, that the couch had not been reduced to a sodden, dripping mess, that it seemed startlingly dry, and that the only visible trace of all that steady gushing seemed to be faint dampness on the disposable paper cover on the pillow, a dim round spot representing his head with a short, wide vertical tail below it representing his neck, the whole thing vaguely suggesting a sun or moon reflected in the water more or less as it would have been drawn as done of the painter by Edward Munch. The king in your dream, Dr. Neiman said, frowning and making another note, perhaps underlining it. You say you feel he is your father? His father, yes, his father. Holding him high in his heavy, hard metal gauntlets, holding him over the battlements of the topmost tower so they could look down upon their kingdom together and see the glinting of gold, the long banners flapping, the dust rising from the wide earth road and setting on the gaudy wrappings of the horses, holding him high so he could cover, so he could clearly hear the trumpets, the loving chairs from the crowd, the drumbeats. The king had been indeed his father. But then had come the spell and the separation and the desperate, unsuccessful hunting, which had once come so close, so terribly close, that he had felt the water shaking, the whole pool trembling as the hooves pounded the soft earth of its round shore, could even see the ripples caused by the nearness of the trumpet's high brassy notes. Worst of all had been the horribly grief, I'm so sorry, worst of all had been the horribly grief horribly brief glimpse of a, of a rider larger than all the others, bound in golden armor, wearing a long billowing red cape and calling out his name over and over in a cracked, frantic lion's roar. 
Not that he hadn't loved the pool, loved the modulations of its greenness as he swam this way and that underwater, loved digging into the cool, soft, receding blackness, blackness of its bottom mud, loved to squat waiting on the smooth warmth of its lily pads, letting the hunger lazily glow and watching the buzzing bugs circle overhead, their wings sparkling in the sunlight until they came too close. It was a warm July day, and he had fed particularly well, and was swimming just below the surface with wide, easy strokes when he saw a great, bright pinkness shimmering ahead of him through the water, a blur of color so dazzling that his limbs stopped moving where they were, and only his momentum pushed him through the water, closer to that vast glowing in a dreamy, hypnotized, bored drifting. The wide, round golden bulging of his eyes with their long black slits strained past arching to absorb the sight of this gorgeousness as it came nearer and nearer and he sank into a fair trance far deeper than his tiny pond. Then the pinkness moved, faceted by the water into an enormous glittering wall of multimedious shades of rose and pale reds and he realized how huge how tremendous the thing that made it must be and he backed away speedily sculling to the security of the far end of the pond and a cluster of yellow willow roots where he cowered behind the slimy stems a moment gathering himself and letting his heart slow so its pounding didn't frighten him quite so much but the pinkness continued to fascinate him absolutely, and he found himself slowly and carefully raising his head and keeping his eyes, the highest part of him, until they gently and very quietly broke the surface of the water and stared directly at a beautiful woman kneeling by the side of the pond and smiling intently into its mysteries. The pinkness had been her face and neck, and shoulders and arms leaning over the surface of the pond, and the rest of her was clad in a long green dress flecked with gold and had blended with the water. Her hair was a piled mass of gold, and Frog knew he must have taken it for the sun. He realized then and there that he would love her always and forever, hopelessly and beyond redemption, clinging to the smooth curving of a willow root with his tiny emerald forefeet, he gazed at her with a helpless wonder for long, uncounted minutes. His ordinarily unnoticed blood stirred strangely within and seemed to warm him, and he almost half believed that he could sense it taking on a redness in his veins. It began to dawn on him, watching her make one precious, unforgettable, irreplaceable move of her body after another, that he had been alone in his quiet little pond for a long, long while. He observed her slim, pale, perfect fingers trill along the surface of the water, and was astonished to realize how far ago that day of hoof poundings and harsh trumpet blast and hoarse shoutings of his name must have been. He watched her darling arms straighten as she stretched forward to gently nudge a floating leaf and was amazed to see how faint and dim and blurred with time the recollections of his castle and his father's face had grown in his mind. With an incredible effort, he tore his eyes 
from his beloved and let himself slide noiselessly down to the willow root to the soft yielding mud at the bottom of the pond and then he walked on the tips of his toes over the vagueness of the mud's dim uncertain surface until he came to a little heap of algae covered rocks he moved the stones gently to one side and then carefully dug into the bit of mud to which they had marked at first his gropings only found deeper mud and a terrible anxiety swept through him but then he clawed just a little further and felt a flood of enormous relief when the pale little pads on the ends of his front feet made contact with the smooth hard curving surface he reached down and when his all his green digits were scrolled around the object hidden under the mud he pulled mightily with every bit of strength in his stout little body and at last with the wet sucking in a dark swirling cloud of mud he pulled out his treasure it was a lovely great ruby carved beautifully into the shape of a heart and as he gently stroked the mud from its surface it glowed brightly even here in the deepest darkest corner of the pond it had stayed with him and he had no idea how or why though his losses and transformations through his losses and transformations and through all the endless eons from which had passed over him since he had always suspected there was something wonderful and magical about it but had it always been a great source of hope and now holding it with a clear plan forming easily and effortlessly in his mind he was sure of it he knew in the deepest part of his speckled green body that he and it had been waiting together in this lonely pool all through these stretching years just for this moment he fondled it clutched it to his breast hugged it fiercely and then gripping it as firmly as he could with all his might in both his tiny front feet he kicked his way up through the whole height of the pond to the underside of the large lily pad he peered carefully and cautiously out from under the pad where he was sure his beloved's gaze was thoroughly absorbed elsewhere he climbed over the pad's edge and sat on its exact center he arranged his small body carefully folding the roundness of his legs neatly along his sides spreading his toes in order to show off their webbing to its best advantage and then lifting his head just so in order that the curve of the bolt of flesh under his chin might echo exactly the swelling of his body in classic frog mode he held the heart-shaped ruby towards her and waited patiently breathing tiny anxious breaths and gazing at her with his wide adoring eyes she turned and saw him and at first she only smiled affectionately with the slow parting of her lovely red lips at the sight of the little fat green creature but then a look of curiosity grew in her eyes as she noticed the heart-shaped ruby in oddly human way that he held it and her curiosity in turn changed to wonder when she saw the tiny golden crown which rested on the flat green speckled top of frog's head very carefully doing all as gracefully as he possibly could frog bent and placed the ruby on the pad before him he then made a formal little bow stepped back and waited the ruby glistened on the lily pad looking more like a drop of liquid than a solid thing the beloved reached out in its direction 
moving gently, keeping her eyes on Frog to make sure she was not startling him, and touched the ruby cautiously with the tip of the softly curving, delicately pink nail of her forefinger. Only after she saw Frog solemnly blink his bulging golden eyes and nod approvingly did she take hold of the ruby between her finger and thumb and lift it from the leaf's waxy surface. She held it up before her face, turning, turning it as she did so. Her lovely eyes widened as she watched the sun shine through its heart-shaped redness in endless wonderful ways. Frog watched from his lily pad, confident that the magic would work on its own, that his salvation was approaching, that the endless time of solitude was finally coming to an end, and that all of it had served a purpose. Eventually, her gaze traveled slowly down from the ruby to the little frog, and a look of understanding crossed her face, and she took the heart-shaped jewel between her fingertips and pressed it to the center of her chest, just above the parting of her breasts. As she and Frog watched together, it sank gently into her flesh. She sat a moment longer, her fingers resting quietly over the beating heart, her beating heart, and then she leaned forward and gathered Frog's small body up to her sweet hands and lifted him closer and closer to the full, round swelling the softness of her lips. And this is where you wake up, sighed Dr. Neiman, making it another note in his little book. Always, this is where you wake up. Frog turned his head to the wall and felt the burning tears cascading from his bulging eyes, felt them scald his puffy cheeks, sear the whole wide gap of his lips, and tumble from him onto the disposable paper cover on the pillow of the couch. Yes, always so wasn't that marvelous kind of sad but absolutely wonderfully marvelous so this was written by mr. or by a writer I don't know I'm assuming this is a mister um, by gone Wilson and there's really not a lot of information um, that's in this book about I'm so sorry, excuse me, about this particular writer, but I really loved this story. I loved how descriptive and how beautiful this really was. I liked that Frog was seeing an analyst and having these moments of anxiety and self-doubt and feeling squelchy and unattractive, you know, and just a real ball of, of nervousness and he has this amazing dream and and then he wakes up you know he has this dream of, of being something more than himself and I love the imagery of the ruby heart that he drags from the bottom of the pond and gifts to his beloved and the scene or the, the written scene of her holding it and pressing it into her skin and it sinks into her chest and you know that's her beating heart. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I am um, so happy to have shared that with you. This is more along the lines of the type of fairy tale or story that I love. Something that's 
wonderful, familiar that we all know, and then unique and marvelous in a way you don't expect or can predict. I love things like that. So if you enjoyed these two stories, I'll keep looking for more. Um, one of the things I wanted to do and message me or respond, you know, of course, in Instagram or Spotify, if you have a way to leave a message for me, I'm debating reading The Dark Tower to you, the very first book, which is The Gunslinger. This is a rather long read, so I would be reading this in segments so that, um, you know, I, of course, of course, we could share the story. Now, again, I'm kind of reading these without copyright permission, so if I get in trouble or whatever, or somebody reports me, or if I if I get a call from an attorney saying you can't do this, I will be removing all of this. But again, I'm not making any revenue from this. This is just my way to share literature, short stories, um, your writing. If you want me to read your writing, you know, let me look it over and see you know if I can put this on and I'd be happy to share that you know original pieces or or different things like I said I'm an avid reader and I am more about just sharing things that maybe we can all enjoy together so if you've never heard about the dark tower I know that there was a film that was out and while the film was wonderful and fun and exciting in its own way, it was in no way or in any way what the book is. And Stephen King films are often that way. Pennywise, the you know the story, it was pretty close to the book, but The Gunslinger was very much different from the book. It was not what the story is. And I'll give you a little preface about what it is. Um, the story is about a gunslinger. It is a western. It is kind of science fiction too. I think it is a masterpiece and I would love to, you know, share this with you and you know, and if you enjoy it, then of course read more. It's it's kind of hard and gritty. It is it is Stephen King. But this is, in its way, its own fairy tale. A wonderful, wonderful story. And if you're not already familiar with this series, I will give you a preface. And if you wanted to check this out on your own. The Dark Tower series, consider that the center of a wagon wheel. And this is going to come into play as we share this series. But, um or as you enjoy this series, but every book he's ever written, from Cujo to Carrie to Salem's Lot, It, Rose Matter, Dolores Claiborne, um, of course, Misery, Gerald's Game, all of these stories circle and revolve around and weave, oh, insomnia, uh, weave and, and, intermingle around the central story of Stephen King's The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger. So it is a masterpiece in what he has done in that every book is pretty much standalone that he's written. And then you read the series and you see how like a jigsaw puzzle, you're only looking at pieces. And when you 
read this gun, you know, the, the Gunslinger series, the Dark Tower series, you see how it really all fits together into a much bigger masterpiece. And I love it. Absolutely love it. And so if this is something you're interested in, let me know. Hopefully we won't get in trouble and I'll share this with you. Um, but these books were already on audio and I believe like George Woodall is the reader and he's a marvelous and fantastic reader of the stories. I, I wouldn't be even begin to be able to do justice in the way that he has, but I do love his writing and debating reading this, but we'll see where we're at. I've got to research copyright law a little bit before I do that and see what kind of risk I'm taking reading it. But don't just, you know, wait for me. If this is something you're at all interested in, give it a listen or give it a read. Um, you can download these things and and it's worth the time. It's really quite fantastic. And we'll look at that maybe next time. But so it's about nine o'clock now and I've enjoyed spending some time with you. And I hope you've enjoyed spending some time with me too. I really loved the Frog Prince and hearing about Frog, you know, being analyzed. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor guy. Always. I love that ending, always. It makes me think of Severus Snape from Harry Potter. Always. Love it. Love it. Love it. So that is one thing uh, we might do too is... Um, Rowling has, of course, with everybody being quarantined and, you know, staying home and, and things like this, has allowed teachers to, she has relaxed her copyright laws and has allowed teachers to read the Harry Potter stories. And if you are at all interested in hearing those, I'm happy to read those as well. I thought listening or reading or having anything to do with Harry Potter. I'm like, there's no way I'm reading this. This is a kid series and everybody was loving it. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm not doing this. And I ran out of things to read. I actually ran out of things to read. And I had checked the book out from the library and I'm like, okay, fine. Let's see what all this hype is about. By the time I finished the second paragraph, I understood that the writing was special, that the whole thing was special. And I finished the first chapter and then I power read the entire first book. And I had luckily checked out at that point, I think only a couple of books had been written, but I ended up devouring everything I had checked out from the library. It was that amazing and that wonderfully written. So if if you are at all interested in giving it a listen, I might read that one too. Or I might continue our fairy tales. So we will see what our next podcast will bring you. It might be a surprise. So it might be the gunslinger. It might be more fairy tales. It could be the reading of the very first Harry Potter book. So um, we'll take a vote. You tell me what you'd like to listen to and we'll go from there. So with that, have a very nice evening. I'm going to go see what my children are up to. We're getting close to bedtime. And I want to make sure everybody's nice and comfortable. Get everybody settled for the evening. And you too. So have a great evening. Thank you for listening. And 
we shall see you or we'll be with you next time and like I said I'll try to post more regularly have a good night and yeah sweet dreams it'll be all right and we'll get together again thanks